Uh, let's go where we left off last night to Exodus 12. We got through the first nine plagues and uh, saw attitudes with everybody, Moses, with Israel, and with Pharaoh. When You know, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, converted, heathen, leader, lay member, uh, our human nature is the same regardless. Uh, when circumstances aren't to our liking, when things aren't the way we like them or want them or wish they were, then we get frustrated, we get impatient, we get this and we get that. And of course that varies a great deal with individuals. Some people are very patient and some people are hit the wall if the screen door sticks or something. You know, it just, we all have different buttons, I guess, and different areas in our personalities that are stronger and other areas that are weaker. Uh, just uh, our individual makeup. Somebody might be real strong here and weak here, and this other guy might be real weak here and strong there. So, it, you know, we're, we're all a we're all a mixture of of ups and downs and strengths and weaknesses. But uh, it does seem when things get dire, uh, most people have difficulty with it and have to fight their attitudes and so on. And we've certainly seen that <coughs> here in these circumstances. Of course, these were pretty dire circumstances, uh, but. Where is our faith? And where was their faith? And they didn't have any. They didn't really know God. We really shouldn't have as much battle, should we, as they did? Uh, we've known the true God for quite some time, and we've been through some trials and tests and various things, so uh, we ought to be A-OK. <laughs> but I don't think so. Uh, we're, we're still human Anyway, we have one more plague to go, and this one is going to be a doozy. Chapter 12, The Eternal spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. Uh, speak you to all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So on the tenth day of the first month, uh, the lamb is selected to be sacrificed or to be eaten on Passover evening. <coughs> uh, as I recall, seems like Christ rode into Jerusalem. Didn't he come in a few days early? I think he came in maybe on the tenth to be selected uh, before the Passover because he was to be the Lamb of God all the way. Anyway, if the household be too little for the lamb, then his neighbor next door, and they take it according to the souls, two or three families, whatever was necessary to uh, be sure you could eat a lamb. Uh, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now, they killed a lot of lambs then uh, because they had one or two families per lamb. When it says the congregation will kill it, it doesn't mean then that everybody comes over and kills that one. It's, it means everybody in the congregation kills their lamb that they've set aside at the same time at, at evening. I saw an argument recently uh, come up. I'd never heard that one, I don't think, before for somebody trying to prove an afternoon of the 14th. Uh, Passover, or possibly even evening of the 15th, probably afternoon of the 14th, which some of them do, because they said you can't kill and prepare a lamb between sunset and dark. Well, I don't see that you need to. Where does it say that you have to do that? It says kill it between the evenings, ben Haberim and whatever the other word is, I'm tired tonight. Uh, but you can actually, I, if I if I have everything set up, I can by myself. I can kill an animal, string it up, uh, skin it, and gut it in probably thirty forty minutes. Uh, I mean, I can field dress a deer in ten minutes. I've done it many many times. 
have it all gutted and ready to go. But they were to have it eaten by midnight. So they had, they were supposed to kill it soon after sundown, begin dressing it out, and then roast it with fire. And that gives you quite a few hours there to have it uh, killed, prepared, and roasted, and eaten. So I don't see what argument they have to make. But if, if you had two people skinning one, uh, two members of a family, you've got to dress them pretty fast to get one on each side. <laughs> you know, I, I've done hundreds of animals, so I know what I'm talking about. This isn't theory with me. What's that? I, they left the guts in it, didn't they? The pertinence there, I was left in it. So all you had to do was uh, cut its throat, let it bleed out, and rip the hide off. And two people with a knife can take a hide off. Once you, once you circle the legs and cut from the hind leg across the, the rear end to the other leg and get those legs loose, two people, if you have a strong rope holding the thing up so it doesn't pull off, you can just pull that skin off for the most part till you get down to the front legs. Then you have to, you have to cut them too to get them on down and then the neck. But, uh, two people can skin an animal like that real fast. It doesn't take long. I mean, I did one the other day. I, I think I spent maybe two hours at it, but I was fooling around with the New Holland and getting it hung the way I wanted and sharpening the knife and you know, on and on and on, but I don't think it took me more than two, two and a half hours from start to finish. And if we'd had everything all lined up and the ropes hanging there and the lamb there uh, and two people, we could have had it done from sunset before dark and without having to even gut it, which doesn't take long either. Uh, you could have it on the fire burning, I mean cooking, probably within a half hour, 45 minutes without any problem. So that, that argument doesn't hold water. Maybe they're assuming you have to have it uh, completely dressed and start cooking by dark, but they, I don't know any place it says that. It just says you're to kill it, sacrifice it right after sundown. And uh, then however long it takes, if you're slow or got a dull knife, maybe you eat a little later than somebody else did. But as long as you have it eaten by midnight, that was the only other thing that he laid on him here, I think, unless I'm forgetting something. We'll go through it and see here. <clears throat> Kill it in the evening, verse 7, and take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So there was two or three families. Uh, then they took the blood from that same lamb and put it on all their door posts. Um, not just the one where it was killed, but all who would be there partaking of that particular lamb. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Here they introduce unleavened bread right at the beginning. Uh, that first night, Passover night, 14th, have unleavened bread with the flesh and bitter herbs. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden with water, that is boiled or some other, some type of cooking, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. Um, I don't know whether that means they cut the feet off at the uh, at the knee, where which you usually do when you butcher, or whether that means that you have to leave uh, hooves and all on, and the head was left on, and the guts. All you got to do is strip the hide off and stick it on the fire. It doesn't take long. I don't know, what's, what's the big deal? Well, people find all kinds of theories. Um, and thus shall you eat it. This is important. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the eternal's Passover. Now, if he wasn't going to kill the firstborn that night, which he did, and they weren't to leave immediately after the firstborn were killed, why did they need their shoes, their loins girded, and their staff in their hand, ready to go? If they didn't leave until the following night, beginning of the 15th, 
why not do it in your pajamas? You know, we're going to bed, we're not leaving until dawn, we're told not to go out till morning. Uh, but the specific instruction was to be ready to go. I think there was some reference here that they were supposed to have it eaten by midnight. But it says you shall let nothing of it remain till the morning, and that which remains of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. I don't know where I got that. Maybe I was confusing that with when uh, Christ said he would kill the firstborn. Uh, but they had the night, that is, until the call came to leave. Uh, then you just left. We'll see that. For I will pass through the land of Egypt, or Mitzrayim, this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim. So, this night, the antecedent there is the beginning of the 14th, so it has to be speaking of that. I don't think anyone really questions that. Well, yes, some of them do, because they want to kill it on the afternoon of the 14th, or even at sundown, beginning of the 15th. So, maybe that's an important point to bring out, and I probably did in the article, and you've all read that, but it doesn't hurt to go through it again here uh, at Passover. So, he passed through this night, and he hasn't. we haven't changed nights. We're still at the 14th. They would have it eaten, and that's the same night. That's the night he would would kill uh, the firstborn. Uh, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Eternal. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Mitzrayim. Now, that's where it got the name Passover, I'm quite sure. Was he would pass over your house. Uh, and that fits in symbolism. He passes over our sins through the blood of Christ. Uh, so, Passover was a, a logical and legitimate name for that night, from then forward, both on a physical level for them and on a spiritual level for us, because we all have sinned and our sins need to be passed over. They're not swept under the rug. Uh, they have to be dealt with, and they have to be dealt with with death. So Christ's blood was shed so that our sins might be blotted out or passed over in that sense. Now, this day shall be to you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the eternal throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So, there's been no change. He doesn't say anything about it being past the 14th, it's the same day. I mean, it's the evening part that we were dealing with, but it's the same day. We call it the 14th a day. Well, night and the daytime make a day, 24 hours. That's what Genesis lays out for us, for the creation. So it's the 14th is the day he's speaking of here. There's, there's nothing in here to indicate that there's been a change in day. And it is both a memorial, a feast, and an ordinance. And we'll see in verse 16, it's also a holy convocation. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Now, he's already told us down in verse 8 that we were to eat unleavened bread with the lamb. Well, if you eat unleavened bread that night, and then you do it seven more days starting on the 15th, that's eight days. Isn't it? So if he commands you at the beginning of the 14th to eat unleavened bread with the lamb, you're eating unleavened bread. Commanded on that day. Then if you are commanded seven days more, that's eight. No way of getting around it. You can say, well, we had unleavened bread with the lamb, but we get to eat it leavening the next day. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all here or anywhere else. Leviticus 23 is the only 
23.6, is the only verse that is difficult to explain. I mean, there's 30, 40 other ones that I used in that paper that all agree. They say the same thing, all of them. And that's the only one that is difficult. Now, why is it that if people have 30 that all agree and there's one that isn't, they focus on the one that is the question? Why don't you focus on the 30 that are right, <clears throat> that all agree, and then deal with the one that seems to disagree? We get it all backward, don't we? The vote is 30 to 1 here. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to vote, uh, we've got 30 on this side and 1 on this side. Now, which is it? It's got to be with the 30. And then you've got to find an explanation for the other one, whether it's translation or context or uh, some other explanation. When there's one that disagrees, uh, they all have to come to agree. So you have to find an answer for the one instead of finding... People would make me... They would make me find an answer for all 30 of the others. That's the way a lot of people approach it. This one has to be right, so you you got to go explain all those 30 others in the light of this one. That's just not the way it works. <clears throat> I think I can explain Leviticus 23.6 better now than I could then anyway. Anyway. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses... For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day till the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. If you go to Deuteronomy 16, it says there that you uh, you sacrifice the Passover on the first day. It says it in so many words. So that's the first day it's talking about here, and it is a holy convocation. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for in this selfsame day, I have brought your armies out of the land of Mitzrayim. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. And then in verse 18, he's still talking about the 14th day. He's not talking about the 15th. There's no break. It's the same day. Self-same day. And we'll see that they left that night. All right, in verse 18, then, in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. So, that's seven days. If you begin at the beginning of the fourteenth, beginning of the fifteenth is one, beginning of the sixteenth is two, seventeenth is three, eighteenth is four, nineteenth is five, uh, no, wait a minute. What word did I mess up there? Uh, 14, the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th is seven days. That's what I was trying to say. So you keep it till the end of the 20th until the 1 and 20th day of the month at even. So the 1 and 20th day at even is the beginning of the 21st, just like the 14th at even is the beginning of the 14th. People try to say, well, that means uh, the end of the 15th. That would be eight days. Sorry. Uh, it says seven days. And it is from the beginning of the 14th to the beginning of the 21st. That's seven complete days. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. So that shows that for those seven, from the beginning of the 14th, uh, no leavens to be there from the beginning of the 14th on. For that soul will be cut off. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations. Verse 11, uh, 21, Moses called the elders and said to them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. So now he's flashing back. I mean, he explains what you're to do. And then he tells them, do it. But it was before the 14th that, it, that this other instruction came. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Eternal will pass through to smite the Mitzrayimites, and when he sees the blood upon the lintel on the two side posts, the Eternal will pass over the door 
and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to you and to your sons forever. Now, he did tell them not to come out till the morning, didn't he? Uh, and if word had not come to Pharaoh, they wouldn't have. But when midnight struck, and they all had... Well, we'll read it down here. Um, I'll get ahead of it here. And then he tells them that you're to teach this to your children. What do you mean by this service? But you'll say it is the sacrifice of the Eternal's Passover who passed over the houses of the children in Egypt when he smoked the Mitzrayimites and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. So, they haven't been delivered yet, but he's giving instructions and they're accepting them. Even though they've been in this rebellious attitude, they are accepting this instruction. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Eternal commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass, verse 20, that at midnight the Eternal smote all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captives that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle, man and animal. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Mitzrayimites, and there was a great cry in Mitzrayim, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Every house had a dead person in it. Now, that would create a great cry. <laughs> no doubt about that. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get up. If you're in bed, get up. And get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Eternal as you have said, take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. <laughs> he tells that again. That always tickles me. Entreat him for me, or ask him to bless me too. You know, in his carnal human logic, he recognized the power there. He didn't fully understand it, but he knew there was power. And so, you know, grant me favor too. Kind of like people vacuously say sometimes, pray for me, and they don't really mean it. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but it's just something you say. Now, I think a lot of times when we say it, pray for me, we mean it, but people out in the world use that pretty flippantly a lot of times. Uh, I don't know how flippant he was, though. He, he's, if there's any help there, I, I need it. And the Mitzrayimites were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. Now, there was not a house there that didn't have a dead person in it. There wasn't a Mitzrayimite in the whole land left asleep. They were all wide awake, crying out, screaming, yelling, moaning, groaning. So nobody was asleep. And if that happened at midnight, they didn't wait until eight in the morning to come tell Moses and Aaron, we need you to go away now. He sent word immediately. And the people responded immediately because they were, I mean, if there were any if, uh, Mitzrayimites among them or nearby or neighbors or, you know, subdivision here and an Israelite there or whatever, they would have been urgent upon them to get out because they were afraid they were all going to die. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. Now, had they not left until the next evening, they would have had time for their bread to rise. But from midnight on, uh, they didn't have time. They just bound it up and left. Of course, they'd already been told that they were not to have un, not to have leavened bread for seven days, 
But this was the time that that was instituted. Anyway, they were urgent. So they took it unleavened. Verse 35, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and so on. I don't know whether they took them that night, because, you know, they've been instructed back in chapter 11 to, uh, to spoil them. And they had been through enough plagues at that point. It says that God gave them favor, and they were willingly giving their things. So I suspect that they probably, ahead of time, uh, took the gold, the jewelry, and everything else, said, we're leaving, uh, you got another plague coming, uh, we want that now. Now, they may have, they may have taken some that night, but they were told to get out of there quickly, so I don't know that they had time to go to all the neighbors and say, hey, we want your gold. I suspect they already had it by that point. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses, where they were, to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children, and a mixed multitude went with them, and flocks and herds and much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough, which they brought forth out of Mitzrayim, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Mitzrayim and could not tarry. They didn't hang around all day. I don't think there's room in here for this, just with this language that he's using. The... the Mitzrayimite said, go now. We're all dead men. Get out of here. And they, the Israelites would have feared for their very lives. You know, They were looked upon as the ones causing the plague and the ones that caused these deaths. So they weren't looked upon very kindly at that point. That's another thing that makes me think that they probably did the spoiling just ahead of time, a day or two ahead, when they'd gotten the instruction, because... Uh, these people with a dead one in their house, I don't know. They were so urgent, maybe they threw all their jewelry out in the yard, you know, for you to pick up. But it would have had to have been a very quick thing. I, I mean, we can only speculate exactly how it happened, but uh, they either had gotten it ahead of time, or the or the Mitzrayimites were just saying, here, take everything I've got, just go, go, get out. Because they were they would have been looked upon as the enemy at this point. Uh, verse 42 uh, oh wait wait a minute let's go to 41 and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years even the self same day it came to pass that all the hosts of the eternal went out from the land of Mitzrayim now which day here is the most important the 14th is when they kill the lamb it's when they were passed over so that they were not killed. It's when they were thrust out. That's the self-same day it's talking about. It is a night to be much observed to the Eternal for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Eternal to be observed of all the children of Israel and their generations. Now, he said essentially the same thing a little earlier, the self-same night. So he's just repeating it here that it was the night that everything happened. And the Eternal said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. Now what did he call the ordinance back here in verse 14? The same night, that day, was to be an ordinance forever. So he's only repeating that back here. That's the day that was the ordinance. The ordinance of the Passover. And he's talking about a night to be much observed in the verse before and specifying that it is the ordinance of the Passover. is the night to be observed. Which night did we observe this year? I mean observed. The 14th at the beginning. We took the Passover. Christ's sacrifice was there for us. It was the important night. It was the night that he was taken, at midnight, in fact, and not passed over. Uh, they were passed over at midnight, but he was taken at midnight and not passed over, so he could pass over for us later. So it was the same night, and then he was tortured and killed the next day, and buried before the day was over, before the 15th ever even came. 
Then he goes on and talks about the strangers that went with them and being sure they were circumcised and so on. Uh, circumcision then, someone pointed out recently, was of the flesh, even though the, the Old Testament even does talk about the circumcision of the heart a time or two. But it primarily was the circumcision of the flesh that indicated you were a physical Israelite. But circumcision of the heart today and baptism is the thing that sets us apart with the Holy Spirit, the laying on of hands, to be spiritual Israelites. That is, that's the ceremony that does it. But you're supposed to repent and be circumcised of heart before you're baptized and have the laying on of hands. So an uncircumcised person uh, should not eat of it. So if you're not properly baptized and have the laying on of hands, then you should not partake of the Passover. I did allow some people, several who were not baptized, to go ahead and do the foot washing, uh, but they didn't take the Passover. Foot washing is more a humility and a service thing. And uh, it might be pointed out, too, that when you really understand the sequence of things, as Luke explains, uh, the hand of Judas was still on the table when they took the Passover, the bread and the wine, and for the foot washing, and then he told him to get out of there. So even Judas partook of the bread and the wine that night. So there's a, there's a little bit of a mixed uh, instruction there that might bear a little more study or thought. I don't know the, all the exact answer to that, but it's very clear that uh, Judas took the bread and the wine. <clears throat> he was a physical Israelite, so he would have qualified in that way. I'm sure he was circumcised. But whether or not, uh, and that was the change overnight to the spiritual. So it might be that Christ allowed him as one of them to partake of it since he was a physical Israelite, but he wouldn't thereafter. I, I don't know, there might be some some things to think through there a little bit. Anyway, verse 51, it came to pass the selfsame day that the Eternal would bring the children of Israel out of the land of Mitzrayim by their armies, or uh, harnessed, as it says, elsewhere. <clears throat> now, did they gather together and then continue their journey on the 15th? Yes, they did. In fact, they traveled for seven days, probably crossed the Red Sea on the last day of unleavened bread, I think is probably what happened. But were they all in order in that night? I mean, you have all these people screaming that have dead people. Get out, get out, get out. I imagine that Moses had told them, when the word comes, go to, where was it, Ramses? Where they, where they left from on the 15th. Go there. But they, in the night... They would have just grabbed their kids, their animals, their kneading troughs, what they could carry, and they would have headed for Ramses. They wouldn't have been all lined up in rank and file and, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But it says later that when they did leave Ramses on the 15th, they went out organized by, what was it, fives, tens, hundreds, and so on, and they all marched in, in order like an army. But I, I can't even imagine them lining it up at one o'clock in the morning and getting all the animals under control, kids under control, and marching out of there in the dark. Uh, that that doesn't make sense. Uh, you, you got your neighbors poking a stick at you saying, go, you're not going to take time to line up. So that's what they did. They, they left that night, all gathered at Ramses, and then there had been captains appointed ahead of time, obviously, so that they, they all lined up by tribe, uh, by family, uh, with the captains for them, and then they marched from there on the 15th. It's the only logical way to look at that. And I think that can be shown in Leviticus 23.6. Anyway, verse 13 here. Uh, let's move on. Or chapter 13, I mean. The Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whosoever opens a womb among the children of Israel, 
both of man and of beast, it is mine. So, uh, the firstborn son was to be set aside for God and the firstborn of their animals. Moses said to the people, Remember this day. He hasn't changed anything to the 15th yet. This day in which you came out from Mitzrayim, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Eternal brought you out from this place, there shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came you out in the month Abed. The antecedent is the same. It all goes back to the 14th. There's, no, there's nothing in here that even hints a change to the 15th, and he keeps reminding them of all the events that happened that day. Why couldn't we see this years ago? It's, just, it's so simple once you do understand it. But I think Leviticus 23.6 is what through Herbert Armstrong and what through all of us and what still throws most people when they read uh, the proper sequence. They still, they can't get past that one verse. Maybe God put it there on purpose that way uh, so that they might be taken and snared and deceived. You know, Christ said that he spoke in parables so they could be taken and snared and deceived. And it's only those, here at the end, remember, the remnant, whose minds he will open and stir to come finish his work. The rest aren't supposed to know. So maybe that's the reason 30 say this and one says that, and everybody believes the one. Then he tells them they're going to the promised land. God's great hand had sprung them. Seven days, verse 6, shall you eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the eternal. No leaven for seven days. And you shall show your son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the eternal did to me when I came forth out of Mitzrayim. It shall be for a sign to you upon your hand and for a memorial between your eyes that the eternal's law may be uh, in your mouth, for with a strong hand has the eternal brought you out of Mitzrayim. Now he called it the night to be much observed in ordinance in verse 42 and 43, just like he did back in, what was it, verse 16? And here he says this day he's speaking of is a memorial. Well, there you have ordinance and memorial. You go back to verse 14, it is, and he calls Passover night a memorial and an ordinance forever. So he's only reiterating and telling them what they're to tell their children later on, that this is an ordinance and it's a memorial, just like verse 14 said it is. Still talking about the 14th. Is that clear? Now let me go back. We've got just a few minutes here. Rather than continuing this, let's address Leviticus 23, verse 6, since it's kind of on the table. Now he introduces the Feast of the Eternal, and the Sabbath, verse 3, is no problem. And then he says in verse 4, These are the Feasts of the Eternal, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. The fourth one then, in the fourteenth day of the first month, at even, the beginning of the fourteenth, is the Eternal's Passover. Now, if it's on the fourteenth day at sundown, if the sun goes down at the end of the fourteenth, isn't that the fifteenth? So he says, do it on the fourteenth. At even. So he has to mean the evening at the beginning of the 14th. It can't be anything else, because if you wait till the next sundown, it's on the 15th, and it can't be on the 14th, which he clearly says here it has to be. And the 14th day of the first month at even, beginning, is the Eternal's Passover. This is made very clear over here in uh, verse... 32. He's speaking here of atonement. 
And verse 32, he says, It shall be to you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even, even from even to even, shall you celebrate your Sabbath. And the Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh... Oh, that's Feast of Tabernacles. Um, wait a minute. What was I going to say here? Uh, has to be the beginning of the tenth, because he says the tenth is atonement. Okay? So when he says the ninth at even... Uh, he's speaking the beginning of the tenth. So he makes it clear there that the preceding evening, the end of the ninth, is the even of the tenth. See what I mean? If it's the tenth, the even of the ninth is speaking of the end of the ninth there in that particular case, but it's the beginning of the tenth. Because uh, atonement isn't on the ninth, it's on the tenth. Anyway, the first fourteenth day is for the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. To the eternal seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And the first day you'll have a holy convocation, do no servile work. And then uh, the seventh day is a holy convocation, do no servile work, verse 8. Now, he said in 12, back here, to keep it from the beginning of the 14th to the beginning of the 21st, seven days. But he calls the first day and the last day holy convocations. And we've already seen that he called Passover an ordinance, a memorial, a holy convocation, and a feast. Now, there he's not referring to all seven days as a feast. He's calling that one day a feast. Okay? But then he lumps them all together as seven complete. And Ezekiel 45 says that Passover is a feast of seven days. Not one plus seven, but a total of seven. And that's what he says all through Exodus 12. And 13. So what I'm thinking is this. If the first day is the most important day, that is the day of God. That's the day Christ did His work. Then you have six more days. Six is the number of man. What do we do for the next six days? We put sin out of our lives. Man is the sinner. Christ is the perfect one. He comes first on the first day. So it's a feast, it's a memorial, it's an ordinance, it's all those things. Then you have the next six, which is us putting sin out. Seven wouldn't work, because we're man. Number six is our number. So you have one plus six equals seven. So, what it is, is it's two separate things. The first day is set aside as a feast and a memorial. A memorial is only one day, the day that something happened. You don't have a memorial for seven days running. You have a memorial on the day he, was, he died. So, the next six, then, are attached to it, yes. So, you have one primo day plus six, one plus six. And you can see that he does think that way by considering the Feast of Tabernacles. It's seven plus one. Seven thousand years of God's plan working out, plus the eighth last great day for the great white throne judgment. So there, he, he and in one place he even says, keep the feast seven days. I think it's right here in Leviticus 23. Keep the feast seven days and then you add another day. The eight, and on the eighth day it says, isn't it right here? Uh, the first day, verse 35, shall be a whole convocation for the feast. You shall do no servile work. Seven days you shall offer an offering by fire. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation to you and offer an offering by fire. So he calls it seven days. And then he adds the eighth day. 
So he shows right there that he that that's within his framework of thinking to do a seven plus one, uh, or a one plus six, because the first day is by far the most important. So it's the holy convocation, the first day, and then. The seventh day is a holy convocation because it's the day he actually didn't just bring them out of captivity, but brought them clear out of midstream through the Red Sea. So it, too, is a day to remember forever, and it's said that we are to do that. So the first day and the last day represent, one and seven, represent God's deliverance and God's whole number of delivering man from our sins and death through Christ, and we have to continue putting sin out so that the last day, which is represented by the Red Sea, we can go from mortal to immortal, let's say, uh, in the resurrection, uh, having qualified to do that. So the symbolism is beautiful that way. Yes, this one is a little bit confusing, but I think if you understand it that way, and that's really the way it's laid out there in Deuteronomy 16. It's very clear that the first day you did the Passover and then you kept it a total of seven days. But different ones have said, well, uh, some Jew must have messed with Deuteronomy 16. No, I'm th- not Deuteronomy, I'm thinking of Numbers, the one in Numbers. Is it 16? Somewhere right in there. No, it's not 16. It's But it's the one in Numbers that, that lays it out very, very plainly. It's what? Maybe it is 28. I, it escapes me. Now, that talks about the Passover. That's not the one we're... That's not the one I'm looking for, though. Uh, is what? Which one? Passover, 15th, the feast. Now, that just quotes uh, Leviticus 23, but that's not the one that explains uh, the order and how it's a total of seven days. It's somewhere in here. I, we don't, I don't have time to look it up. You've read it. I think it's the one in Numbers. No. No, it's... it's, it's why do I doubt myself? Deuteronomy 16. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the eternal your God, for in the month of Abib he brought you out by night. So it says right here very clearly, they didn't wait till morning, they came out by night. You shall therefore sacrifice the Passover uh, in the place where he chooses. Eat no unleavened bread seven days, verse 3. Uh, even the bread of affliction, for you came forth out of the land of Mitzrayim in haste, that you may remember the day when you came forth out of the land all the days of your life. Uh, they came out in haste that night. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with you in all your coast seven days, neither shall there anything of the flesh which you sacrificed the first day at even remain all night until the morning. So he said, seven days of unleavened bread, verse 3, and you sacrifice the Passover on the first day. Now, how plain can you get? So it was the first of seven. That you may not sacrifice a Passover with any of your gates, which God gives, but where he says, and so on. And then in verse 8, it says, six days shall you eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to the eternal your God. And in a sense, he may be separating it there. He says you sacrifice a Passover on the first day, and then you have six days, and the, which is 
the sixth, I mean, is the seventh day. Six more days, and the seventh day is the day that you have the last solemn assembly. But Deuteronomy 16, to me, is quite clear. Uh, just lays it out for you. You sacrificed it on the first day of the seven of unleavened bread. So, different ministers uh, of today in the church say that some rabbi must have messed with that. And then we go to Luke and show very clearly in Luke that we do the bread and the wine before we do the foot washing. Luke lays it out very, very clearly. So then we have some who say, well, you can't trust Luke because he wasn't an eyewitness. So we got to throw Deuteronomy 16 out, and we got to throw Luke out. Now, which part of the Bible do you not add or take from? Just the book of Revelation or the whole thing? I think he means the whole thing. Now, he was writing of the book of Revelation, maybe in specific there, but that's a summary of the Bible there at the end. And I think he's talking about the whole Bible. Because if you start throwing out whichever scriptures you don't like, pretty soon this book gets real thin. It's real thin for the Protestants, you know. They, they don't have much Bible left. They throw away all the Old Testament but Psalms and Proverbs, not, e not, even in their, not even printed in most of their Bibles. And then they throw away most of the New Testament and uh, save, oh, about, what, four scriptures, some of them, <laughs> and the rest of it they throw out. You can't do that. Uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And if it's inspired by God, who am I, who are you, or who's a minister in the church of God, to say, well, Luke wasn't qualified because he wasn't an eyewitness. Luke himself said at the beginning of his book, I searched this out carefully. I talked to all the eyewitnesses to be sure the story was set straight. He was very careful to make sure he got it right. And God included it in the Bible. So I'm not going to say you just got to throw Luke out. Uh, I'm not going to say you throw Deuteronomy 16 out because it doesn't agree with your interpretation of Leviticus 23.6. Sorry. We're right and they're wrong. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> of course, they'd say just as adamantly, we're right and you're wrong. So I guess this will all get sorted out, but in the meantime, I'm going to do it as right as I know how. And if they can show me that I'm wrong, uh, show me those other 30 scriptures. I picked 30, maybe 28, maybe 40, but you know what I mean. If you can show me those are wrong, then we'll discuss your Leviticus 23.6. Meantime, you show me how those others, the preponderance, is wrong. Anyway, we didn't question that as we came here tonight, I don't think. But it, I don't think it hurts us either. It doesn't hurt me to go back over it. It's meat and due season to, to see that indeed uh, what we came up with is true. It is right. Anyway, we're out of time, uh, over time, and uh, that's a good place to quit anyway.